0: 460 60 406 406 Donnie, it's the Shy Life podcast. Yeah, but it's <laughs> a positive statement. The High the Shy You won't find a cast of characters like this everywhere. Hello, boys. Delicious. This particular episode of the Shy is. Is a little more abstract than usual. Okay, it looks like the hairy guy is ready to record. Three, two, one. Go Shy Yeti. Oh, I hope he hasn't found out my secret. Do you think he has?
1: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. How are you doing? I'm all right. Um, So, what's this episode about? Well, this is going to be another of my poetic episodes, because we have reached the 10th anniversary of one of my favourite collections of my own work, uh, The Vampire Cows of Scunthorpe, or to give it its full title, The Vampire Cows of Scunthorpe and Other Daftnesses. This is a bit of a different book compared to some of my others. There's a lot more prose in it, a lot more short stories. And uh, although you'll have heard some of them before, I want to sort of just sort of talk through the book a bit. And I've got a special guest. Uh, anyway, I'll tell you more about that, but we'll, we'll run the theme music and when we come back, we will, yes, I'll share with you some of my favorite pieces from this collection. It's time for my old buddy
0: old pal from across the channel, across the pond. Bob Chandler, the
1: shy Eddie.
0: He's not that shy. Oh, he's shy like a
1: Yeah! All I wanted was a pie.
0: And then I hatched out of an egg. Okay, bring Mike over. He's ready to record. It's the
1: quiet ones you've got to watch, you know. Is it metaphorical? Is it, is it deep? Is it deep?
0: Without <laughs> boy, he's bad all that shy is right.
1: Sheesh. <laughs> me, Governor. It's the Shy Life Podcast. If you thought that was bad, just listen to this.
0: Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for it to begin.
1: It's the Shy Life Podcast. He's positively glowing. <laughs> Hi again, listeners. So, yes, The Vampire Cows of Scunthorpe. Uh, there's a poem called The Vampire Cows of Scunthorpe, which uh, I know I've definitely shared with you because um, I think the last Halloween episode we uh, we, we did a bit about uh, that. Toppy did us a sketch. Uh, talking of Toppy, he is our special guest this episode. Um, we recorded a bit, which you'll hear, somewhere in the middle of the episode, uh, and I, I read him some of the prose pieces. So uh, I won't... Be talking much about those uh in the rest of the episode because um yeah we're up to the 10th anniversary i'm recording this in july 2021 and this book well the draft version was published in the spring of 2011 but that wasn't you know available the first edition was published in june but there was a, a slightly amended and improved version um the second edition which is the one i'm reading from that was published in august 2011 so um yeah although i'm a little bit late for the june date i'm more on time for the uh, august date um the cover of the book has some cows now the, the pictures of cows that i took um actually for a massive commons book a, a number of years earlier um back in the day when i could do long walks with callum um we went to we went I I kind of might remember, but we went up some some sort of hills, and, and we were quite high up. But there were still cows up on the hills, and uh, yeah, there's a actually there's a nice range of there's a brown cow, uh, a white and slightly brown cow, and then a nicely mixed brown and white cow. I'm glad I preserved them. <laughs> the, the back cover has got some. More brown cows. And that's from an even earlier... The picture that picture from an even earlier project. That's from uh, a photo book I did when I was in Wales. Goodness knows, mid-noughties. mid mid mid-noughties. And there's a picture of me with a bright blue shirt, a hat and a T-shirt that says Bear on the back cover. And, and also my little uh, Yeti logo that uh, my friend Vinnie Vincent uh, drew me back in the day. Of course, you know, there are a lot of photos in this book, as usual and uh a lot of these poems were written around the time that I was traveling to LA quite a lot so there are some there are some bits and pieces um linked to to that now i'm going to run through the uh the list of titles and and i'll read you some of the poems and you'll hear some of the short stories they're not um separated the previous book also had stories so they were longer stories and they were in a separate section. But the uh, short stories in The Vampire Cows of Scunthorpe are... They're sort of alphabetically presented in in, in amongst the, the poems. Um, but the titles are Adopt a Rockstar, The Ballad of the Axe Murderer, The Bard of Belgravia, Be Careful What You Eat, Being a Rockstar, Big Cake, The Birthday That Never Was, Black Coffee and Old Vinyl, Brain Box, The Briefest Encounter, The Broken Lift The Cat Next Door A Change for the Better Cheating Time Cliffhangers Coming Into Land Commuter Pursuits The Complexities of a First Date The Day in the Life of a Diva Dead Lucky Dead Men Don't Yawn Dear Auntie Astrid A Devil Without Horns A Disorganised Library is a Very Bad Thing Dominic and the Yeti Don't Let the Good Ones Get Away Down in the Archives Dreams Come True An Emergency Appointment England Loves You The Eyelash of Solecism, Eyes of the Beholder, Fantastic Fairy Plaything, Phoenix from the Flame, Fuzzy-Faced Kiss Freak, Grandpa's Wig, Granny Power, Harassing the Sun, A Hermit's Life, Her Summer Holiday, How Foolish Were You Not to Love Me, Version 1 and 2, How Our Happiness Was Created, I Locked Myself Out of Your Heart, If Shakespeare Were Around Today, If You Were My Wife, In Circles, Instantaneously Bananas, Is it wrong to drink wine with a straw? The island. Kitten spit Alabama. Laid. LA lizards. Leggy blonde. The light at the end. Light in the loafer. A little mouse. Making God mad. The man who invented his own gossip. Mr Yeti meet America. A monkey's uncle. Monsters have many faces. More from the guinea pig guru. Murder by chocolate. My father the pole dancer. My first open mic night. My heart is yours. The next train does not call at this station. Open mic night of the living dead. The opposite platform. A peculiar method of research. Peggy Sue's pet tumbleweed. Poking sacred cows with pointy sticks. The quizmaster. The restaurant critic. A roaring success. A rough bit of trade. Santa's don't text. She had everything. Silver Bullets, a hundred word version. And Silver Bullets, 250 word version. Something to chew on, the sound of his own voice, Spanish kisses, tastes like chicken, they don't rhyme their poems in LA, three wishes, Tom's secret life, too late, travel broadens, the troll, Uncle Bear, the vampire cows of Scunthorpe, the way you tell that story, we ain't got time, wicked Lester, wildly gesticulating Susan, will not perform, with a kiss, writer's licence, the wrong bus, and you don't really miss them at first. Plus there's lots of behind the scenes stuff and uh, lots of pictures of deals uh, there's, uh, there's deals with a monkey in this picture um, yeah I uh, I have to there is a sort of secondary content which sort of says which ones are poems and which ones are short stories it's not quite fifty fifty it's probably probably more short stories than poems but uh, yeah I mean well as I say this uh, it was a period where I was writing a lot of a hundred word stories by talk. A lot more about that when i talk with toppy so i probably should read you one or two of the poems let me start with the ballad of the mad axe murderer he is a very vicious fellow a very cruel man yes indeed he is very good at chaos and he likes to take the lead he's a killer that's for sure and he is really very mad he really lives a life of torment and of being extra bad he's a specialist in terror but he has his special niche he's a whiz back in the kitchen and he makes a cracking quiche He is insane, to put it nicely, but no, he never pays his taxes. Yes, he's a maniac, it's true, but only ever murders axes. He is a very evil fellow, a very complex man to read. He always gives a little giggle as he does the wicked deed. An anarchist in pink pyjamas. He's always dressed up to the nines. Parked on double yellow lines, of course, he never pays the fines. He has quite an awful temper. He can be a proper jerk. In the supermarket queue, he will often go berserk. He's a danger too when calm when he lies back and just relaxes it's when the killer will emerge from that vile murderer of axes he's a very creepy fellow a very strange man gone to seed oh his victims gain no mercy but they're never heard to plead quite why he sets his sights on mayhem that's so totally vanilla when he could slaughter crunchy cornflakes and become a serial killer. He doesn't like to make good sense, he only plays by his own rules. It isn't people he is after, only certain types of tools. He likes to broadcast his achievements via telegrams or faxes. If I were you, I'd leave him to his harmless murdering of Axis. Mad Axe murderer. The next one is well, I work in Belgravia, um, a part of London. Quite right near Buckingham Palace and Hyde Park and uh, places like that. Quite close to Mayfair. It's a rather posh area and this is a poem called The Bard of Belgravia. I'm the bard of Belgravia, my verse is both bawdy and crude. Along the lords and ladies of Mayfair I will rudely yet gaily intrude. With a pout on at every party I'll serenade them with ditties I wrote. I'll seduce them with words I have stolen that may be piss in their family moat. I will pop round for tea at the palace, more than likely when nobody's in. I will sit on the throne eating doughnuts, place the crown on my head and just grin. I'll just sit there and write me a poem, and joy that I get to be royal, because being the Bard of Belgravia is a privilege, despite all the toil. It's a hard shop at one I am keeping, as I spend more than I can afford, being flippant and ever so bardish, but never once ending up feeling bored. I'm the Bard of Belgravia, My verse is both cutting and cheap, I look out for their torrid assignments, then I write it all down as they sleep, but I won't tell the papers their stories, I'll just whip it all up into verse, in the hope that the world may well listen, in the hope that it fills up my purse. Real life is my main inspiration, but I add some tall tales of my own, I may drop in a sliver of gossip, but I try not to lower the tone. I sit in the trees and write ditties, I really do try to be fair. I'm surely the Bard of Belgravia, and I'm keeping my eye on the square. It's a good job and one that I'm keeping. It's a privileged post I hold proud, with my telescope trained on their passions, as I hover about the in-crowd. I'm the Bard of Belgravia, my verse is both saucy and blue. I'm noting down all misdemeanours, changing names so nobody can sue. I've seen princesses rove around naked, after too many free baby shams. I've seen them all acting like rough hooligans, and not aristocratic madames i've seen princes do things to their best friends that i just couldn't pretend to ignore i'm not going into too much lewd detail let's just say that they all woke up sore i scribble it down for a poem and delight if i've witnessed the crime in my role as the bard of belgravia i shall whisk it all up into rhyme such behaviour only impresses me may inspiration it never be gone i shall write it all down for eternity all the tittle tattle of SW1. SW1 is the postcode of Belgravia, which is why when I brought Sutton Park back for a mini series, I called it Sutton Park SW1 because it was um, set in a park in Belgravia, at least partially anyway. The same park that uh, I often record bits of the podcast in, particularly when uh, Bev and I speak. That's us sitting in that park. Although most of these poems were written around 2011 or 2010, there were one or two that uh, I delved into the archives to include, uh, including some of the 100-word stories. They were originally written in about 1994, and uh, it was going back to them or rediscovering them that that made me think, oh, I want to write some more. This uh, this one's called Coming Into Land. Uh, It's about arriving in L.A. to meet somebody special. Um, coming to land. We're coming into land and I think, I think that I must have an eye infection. Either that or I have sorry tears in my eyes. Happy tears, tears of relief, tears of excitement, stupid sentimental tears. But no, I'm not the crying type. This isn't about you, it's about me. It's about getting over-emotional. I'm tired, it was a long flight out. I was thinking about my old pet cat. I'm upset by the choice of sandwiches on offer during the flight. It's the film I'm watching. It's terribly moving, you know. It's the air conditioning. I'm allergic to the wool in the blankets they give you. Well, it's got to be one of the above. We're coming into land. It's been a long time coming. Don't let it fly by too fast. There are a couple of longer stories in here as well. Um, which I won't, I won't read you this time, but there's one called Commuter Pursuits. It's all about commuters and what they really get up to. In fact, I think it's a story that... Uh, I wrote in a number of different forms over the years. I think I, I think I, I did a version where it was when well, the lights go out in the trains, all of the, all of the commuters have a cuddle because they they. It's basically one way or another. It's about people searching for some intimacy that they don't have in their life. The idea first appeared in a book I did called Mystic Biscuits. It was just a chapter in a book, but then, I think I did a, a cuddly version and a and a more sexy version. But uh, but even so, it was. it wasn't exactly Jackie Collins, so I don't think that's really me. The other thing about this book is that it was written around the time I was making a lot of videos, so a lot of the poems did appear on videos that I still have available. I know I did a video uh, for this one, A Devil Without Horns, and, uh, yeah, it's another favourite from this collection. A Devil Without Horns. Without horns, well, a devil looks foolish. Without horns, he looks awfully odd. His forked tail, it looks terribly droopy, just ignoring all phone calls from God. A devil sans horns is a misfit. A devil sans horns is a mess. No one will ever send him a postcard. No one ever will ask his address. Cos a devil who's lacking the headgear, oh, he looks just as bald as a coot. And no matter you trying to cheer him, he is never exactly a hoot. Without horns, well, a devil is useless. Without horns, he's a bit of a joke. A devil like that is just pointless. The poor bugger, he can't even poke. A devil whose horns have gone missing tries to hide the fact under his hat, or he'll grow his hair into a beehive, or just tease it up into a plait, cos a devil who's lacking his assets may well end up a figure of fun, combing over his little bald patches, yes, or keeping his hair in a bun. Without horns, well, a devil's a dummy. Without horns, he's a real laughing stock. He'd be better off caught in the nutty or wearing a bright summer frock. I suggest that he builds up some courage, maybe knocks back a couple of beers, stepping out on the street with a new look and a chic pair of sweet bunny ears. Yes, the devil whose horns have gone walkies doesn't really feel terribly blessed. With a flat cap to keep out the draughts, though, he can smile to himself and make best. Well, um, I will read one or two more of these poems. Um in a bit but I, I think now is a good time probably to share with you the little chat I had with Toppy more about the 100 word stories and about how some of those came about and uh, also how uh, Toppy ended up using one or two of them for one of his Halloween episodes because most of them had some sort of um, shocking or scary uh, twist so uh, yeah we'll um, play a little bit of music and then we'll come back and um, Poppy will be here. listeners, I've got a special guest here who I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, the Vampire Council's Comfort with. It's Toppy Smelly. Hi, Toppy. How are you doing? Hey, uh, this is my uh, one of my favourite stories you've ever done. (laughs) Well, I I, I particularly thought I ought to talk to you about um, this book because it's it's sort of around this time, it's the 10th anniversary of this collection. Mm. And and, and, and as, as you know, I sort of go through. Yes, Deals, you know too. I'm <laughs> yeah, you do. Yes, you know. Aww, Deals. Uh, Deals knows a good story when he hears one. Well, he's probably got his photo in this book somewhere. In fact, I know you have, Deals, because all of my books have quite a lot of photos in. And this Actually, another reason it's good to sort of talk to, to you about this one is that there are quite a, a lot of stories inspired by the trips I was making around this time to LA um, and some of, some of the poems are sort of, I, I shall read you one of them. but. I think, but uh, I, by the way, before you get into that, I have to tell you one of my favorite
0: videos of you ever is when you're in LA and you're at that damn location that was used oh, in 50,000 million oh, yeah. movies and television series, that cave. Yeah. Yeah. And, you do your shy yeti dance uh, right there uh yeah. that has to be one of the best <laughs> things i've ever seen in my life
1: right yeah. well yeah that's sort of this this sort of era and um you, you I, I i remember uh, i think it might have been last halloween um you did me a little sketch about um with, with you and sassy um going for a drive and you thought you'd seen a backpack <laughs> yes um, Uh,
0: I uh, love the idea of vampire bovines. (laughs) I just love it. Paul, you're not going to believe what happened. I got to tell you. Okay? Okay, okay. All right. So, Sassy and I are driving along, and we're both in, like, the rear seat because, of course... You know, says he has a driver, powered by arms, Polly. Well, he's he's driving, anyways. And it's nighttime, and it's pouring rain. It's like thundering all over the place. Oh my God, Paul, you're not going to believe what happened. So we're driving along, and would you believe that in the middle of the road was this shadow figure with four oh legs? that uh, anybody could have as bad a board as I did tonight. <laughs> Sheesh. Uh, how did you do, Popeye's Polly? Oh, what did you say? I say, how did you do with tonight's nice oh. bingo? Oh, not th- not that good. Not that good. <laughs> I don't think any, any of us did it. Hey, good. Hey, you guys, you guys, did you know that over in the UK they play a game very much like bingo? Huh? But they don't call it bingo. Well, what do they call it? No, I'm it serious. Is? I, I learned this on the Shine Life podcast. Oh, yeah? You know, the podcast our friend Paul Chandler does. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, oh, yeah. Yeah. uh th- they sit around in pubs and they play this game uh-huh. that's like bingo, but they call it something else. I don't oh. know. It's but, crazy. what do they call? It? Hey hey Popeye, Popeye up ahead, stop the car! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Ugh. I stopped the car. Ugh. What's the matter? Well, there's something... Top, Toppy, why did you do that? <sighs> didn't you guys see it? Uh, ahead in the road. What? There's something in the road ahead. Toppy, you're screwing. No, no, seriously, in the road ahead. Popeye, didn't you see it? Well... No. I, I I thought for sure we were going to hit something. Jesus, Tappy, there's nothing up ahead. No. Yeah. I, I'm sure I saw something. Well, I've completely stole the car out. Oh, great. This is a fine how do you well, well, do. Well, 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 no, no, no. I saw something up ahead in the road. Uh, you're delusional. Let's get the car started, Popeye. Let's go yeah. home. Okay, I'll try. It's stalled out So we go ah, ah. Okay That's it, kids Oh, my God Are you telling me we're stuck? Well, yeah I'm sorry Okay, okay Papa i Polly, Turn off the radio uh, Turn up the radio Turn it off uh, Okay Jesus, Tempy You're hyperventilating Calm down I'm Shelly. sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry But up ahead in the road I'm telling you I saw the silhouette yes. Yes. Of a uh, I what? saw, what? I saw the silhouette uh, of a vampire cow. <laughs> what? Zobby, I, I a did. A vampire cow. Yes. Man. Look, I heard all about it from the Paul Chandler. I, 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 I know. Paul Chandler. Yes. It, it was the Bellicose. Above from Bolivia, they were vampires. Oh my God! I know it. Tappy. No, look, they're, they're they're cows and they wear capes. They've got fangs oh. and, and 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 they suck blood.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Tappy, you're thinking of a poem from Paul Chandler. That's all. But that's what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Jesus. Oh, Okay, now, uh, oh. tell me you didn't see that. <laughs> I didn't see what? I didn't see anything. <laughs> I, I saw too. Popeye, did you see it? Yeah, I saw a cow in the road. A vampire cow. A vampire cow. Oh, <laughs> my Oh, Jesus. No, I told you it was a cow wearing a cape and it had fangs and its eyes glow. Uh, I told you it was a cow wearing a raincoat. <laughs> a cow wearing a raincoat. Come on. That's ridiculous. Tell me that's what I saw. Oh, Popeye, I'm In what reality do you see a cow wearing a raincoat? Yeah. Obviously, it was a vampiric cow from Bolivia. Oh, sweet oh, oh, Jesus. Get a, camera, get a camera out! Get a camera out! A camera! I gotta oh, yeah. take a picture of this. So right. I got to take a picture of it for Paul. Jesus, it's one of a his camera. Bolivian cows get. with get teeth. A camera! I'm a camera! I'm out. Out. Who's got a camera? Yeah, get it, get it. I, I a do. who has got take a phone. Here, here, give me Camera! A take a a, okay, take my camera. Okay. Take a okay, okay, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. Oh, got it. I got it. I got it. I got it <laughs> I know, can you believe it? Paul, it was an amazing adventure and I got that photo of the Bolivian uh, massacre cow from, uh, 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 what would you call him?
1: It, it, I don't know, where it, it was a funny time when I wrote this book because um, and the things I, I, I like, if, if, you, if you're up for it, I'd I like to read you some of the 100 word stories, which I, I know you've used on the smellcast on a couple of occasions during your mm-hmm. Halloween episodes. But um, I went through a weird stage where I found some 100 word stories I'd written back in the 90s. And I thought, oh, one or two of these I still like. And then, you know, a, as I did then, I would be compiling a book, sl- slow time. Of course, when you first start working on a book, there's a poem here, a poem there. It, you don't quite know when it's going to get to the stage where, where you're going to think, oh, gosh, this is nearly finished now um mm-hmm. so I, I started well so i popped those old ones in amongst whatever i already had at that point and but suddenly for about a three-month period i started writing a hundred word stories again and i hadn't done it since uh. the 90s but then suddenly i had loads of ideas and it was uh-huh. like i just turned a tap on and all these little stories came out and then suddenly i was like oh i think that's it i think i think yeah. that i think i'm done now well, with those with
0: things. Um, well, history. I've always been fascinated by the, how writers write and how they come up with ideas and stuff. So, was the hundred word like a kind of like a challenge to yourself, like to tell a short stories in under hundred words? Is that how that
1: originated? In, in, a way, in a way, yes. But also around that time, I had decided I wanted to write more short stories and that's something I did a lot in my teenage years and I discovered that actually you know when I started to write short story it was quite difficult, I wouldn't say they were quite as short as I was expecting they they weren't like novellas or anything but they were Mm -hmm. you know they were maybe 20 pages which to some people that would be you know if a Stephen King short story probably is about that long but doing the 100 word stories I think helped me be a bit more concise when I went back to doing it. But I did read yeah. a lot of short stories in that time. I did read a lot of Stephen King short stories um, but because I'd read a lot of Stephen King novels, but I had never read his short stories at, at that point, sort of 10 years ago. Um, I, I also went, I read a lot of short, just general horror short stories, uh, like in compilations all by different authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was because because the the Vampire houses Sc- of Gunthorpe is Still full of poems, but it just has it has a lot of these stories in as well. Um, Yeah, it's a great mixture. um, I'm just going to read you read you a handful of these. They're very quick. Um, This first one is called Laid. I don't know how to explain. It's weird, deeply weird. How did this happen? I should see my doctor really, but I can't face him. Can't tell him. Tell him that when I woke up today, I found that I had laid an egg. An egg, of all things. I'm a 37-year-old man, for goodness sakes. 37-year-old men don't lay eggs. But now, as it lays there in my warm hands, I feel a bond with it. I want to protect it. I listen and I wonder, what is inside? I can't wait until it hatches. Um, You know
0: what that reminds me of? Is that you? Eventually, did uh, a story on the Shy Life podcast where you laid an
1: egg in it. I yes, with, with, <laughs> the, with the Albert the dragon. I yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that I that that wasn't, and in, inspired by. I do I do um, rewrite and rework, and in, I I do, for better or worse, inspire inspire myself. Yeah. Uh, I
0: that 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 short 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 story format is really interesting, I mean that was
1: short, yeah, yeah, I mean this this next one is one of my my favorites because it's just well, it's called leggy blonde Ooh. Max couldn't understand why some men objected to their girlfriends having surgery. he didn't know what she was having done, but presumed it involved bigger boobs or a new nose. Claire had called it a birthday present Their birthdays were close together So he presumed they'd both benefit Upon arriving at the clinic Max was surprised to find Claire already up and on her feet All eight of them I don't look too spidery do I She asked worriedly I've so many shoes now I can wear Four pairs at once (laughs) Max grinned He'd always been a leg man (laughs) (laughs) I love it I, uh, I love it. It's so weird.
0: I love, yeah. yeah. And what's said and unsaid. It's so uh, compact. It's lovely. Uh,
1: I, I, yeah, it's just. Uh, I, I suppose it's kind of one of those things where you take a phrase, "Oh, he's a leg man," or whatever, and think, what, yeah. what, what? What could? How could you twist that into something really bizarre? But, oh, I, I think it's brilliant. Also, it's so different from.
0: You know, the, the the work where you are doing poetry that rhymes. I mean, this is not at all like that. It, it's just interesting to hear you do veer off from uh, the rhyming, you know, I mean, and just, just do a,
1: a short story. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, you could say some of them are bad jokes, really, but... <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: kind of, maybe. Do you have a, a favorite? I sense these stories that you were telling at this time these short stories must have felt really good to you
1: just and, and yeah, fun to do i just enjoyed doing and um and i found very much like this this next one is probably inspired by just waiting for the train oh. um and it's called the next train does not call at the station um, Ooh, right. i had a close call whilst commuting today thankfully a station guard was there to stop me getting swept away it was misty and half dark. But when I heard the vehicle approaching, I presumed that my train was early. Stand back, sir, called the official. This one doesn't stop. He was right. It oozed through at full speed like some great brown worm, making chuffing noises, smelling rather oddly of Sunday roast. I was, <gasps> shocked. I was shocked and a little repulsed by the sight. What was that? I cried. No worries, sir, he reassured me. That was just the gravy train okay (laughs) that's
0: the the image of it smelling like the sunday roast was awesome
1: (laughs) Uh, i need to find one that's um one of the ones that was from like 1992 uh we have a look at the back i've got the dates of them um i want to read you one or two that are well what inspired me to come back to them um to smooth my books because I did a lot of blogging and I was doing shows and videos uh-huh. uh, at least at least a third of this book is either the stories behind the the stories or oh. what I was going out through my blog. so <laughs> that, um, that's the librarian in you.
0: you've documented everything
1: yeah yes um, oh, well this one's I think there's a couple that this one's called the Disorganized Library. I oh, know it's it's called a disorganized Library is a very bad thing. oh, okay. Uh, This is from about 1994. Uh, George frowned at the disorganised library before him. Where are the books on Alaskan fly fishing, he demanded, stamping his foot and crushing a priceless Dickens. I share your desperation, exclaimed the spiky-haired punk next to him. Where are all the staff, she moaned. The service here is hopeless. The books are battered. The fax needs fixing. The computer system's crashed. The mills and boons are mouldy. And what's more, the barcoders don't bleep. Beamed, George, I'm glad to find an ally. I'm George. And you? Fiona, said the lady. I'm the head librarian. (laughs) You can tell that... uh, You can tell studying to be a librarian. I was doing my life.
0: Yes, I I feel like this is uh, plumbed from the true life experiences of a Shirety in a library. By the way, any story that has the name of uh, Fiona for a character, I love instantly.
1: (laughs) There's a character called Fiona in one of the Australian soap operas that I love, Sons and Daughters. She's a she's sort of like a matriarch character. Love that name. She's great. Um, oh. I need to read another one that's um, what is it called? It's another one set on the train. I look back and I can sort of see I think with the library one, I was probably it's probably at that age where I like playing with oh like you have a punk, so a punk must be, uh, so having a well spoken punk is kind of like, ooh, that's a bit different sort of thing. Okay, I'll, I can't tell if you're saying pun or punk. With a can, yeah. Punk, you're like, like, well, punk rock was different over here than it was in. I think punk in the in America is more like the Ramones and things like that, whereas punk in the UK was the Sex Pistols and with their Mohicans and. But uh, how, uh, how are you using the word punk? Well, I, I was imagining that Fiona, the the librarian, was a punk rocker or had. oh,
0: oh, oh okay.
1: Had, had an like a Mohican, that's why George thought she was just a customer. In fact okay. she's the librarian. Um gadget. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. and, and and I think probably back then that's the sort of um the sort of thing. Yeah. Play, playing with stereotypes um was probably um you know one of the things that, well I think I always like playing with stereotypes or what or what playing with what you think you think one thing and it's 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 um it's the other. Um, This is another early one. I think I did a video for this one. Uh, This one's called Something to Chew On. This is another one from 94. Oh, right. Samantha was being patronised. Great, Reggie nodded. Your hard work's really paid off, Sam. His voice sounded false. "Uh, Come and see my pride and joy, replied Samantha, leading him across the greenhouse. Reggie nodded. He wanted more than just stupid flowers. They crossed to the plant. It was large, yellow, and sickly smelling. Uh, nice, he agreed. However, the flower, a rather violent cross between a Venus flytrap and an alligator, wasn't quite uh, so flattering and found Reggie a little tough and chewy. Samantha loved her plants, and more often uh, than not, they really seemed to love her boyfriends, too. Uh, I love that. I love
0: that! Oh my I, God.
1: I, I think the um, the trick with... I always found the trick with the really short stories is to try and be, cause it's so short. You have to try and. Yeah. It's really like, it's like doing a, um, it's back to you and get uncle John with the magic. It's like a sleight of hand. It's like, you've got to kind of get there before they have chance to even think what the twist is going to be. Cause it's so quick. You have to really get there really quick. You know, obviously they might guess just in that last line, but you, you have to kind of confuse people as much as possible. <laughs> I totally
0: agree. And And then there's, Kind of like a reveal, and it's yeah. like, and then boom, it's done. But it's all within such a such a quick. Yeah,
1: uh, um, I, I you don't have I, you don't I, have long. I,
0: yeah, I think you mastered this form.
1: But uh, Do I don't know, miss? sort of, because there's so many little ideas. You think, well, each of these you could have turned into a, you could turn into a longer. I mean, really, they are a scene or a sketch. If you were doing like a sketch comedy show, they're like a sketch in, in a in a. I don't think you could have turned them into a mammoth stories but you probably could have expanded them um but yeah. they work in this sort of small small way at least i hope they do. did um this this one might tickle you it's oh, called yeah. it's called a roaring success mm-hmm. i think this is one i wrote back in 2011 sarah didn't really like zoos but dad had insisted wanted to show he still cared since the divorce she'd had fun though taking photos and the monkeys had been especially cool they they almost seemed to pose the lion enclosure was their final call and as they watched, a peculiar thing happened. They heard a voice. Help! Help. cried one of the lions. Wow! Sarah gasped, awestruck. Help! Help. I'm I'm the keeper! keeper. This lion ate me! I'm trapped inside! Sarah's dad smiled as they walked calmly on. I told you it was a good zoo, my love, he observed. They even have a talking lion! (coughs) (sighs) it's
0: it's a it's absurdity it's surreal absurdity i love it
1: i'm I'm going to read you just maybe a couple more um one of them is a poem which mentions la but it's a very short one but this is i mean this this is uh, uh this is a favorite because i just all right like locality it's called uncle bear
0: oh oh okay
1: it was nice being an uncle Fort bear. There were many perks when he and auntie visited family. He liked his relatives, but he liked their food even more. Those tasty pies and cakes and puddings. (laughs) He couldn't help but feel hungry. There were too many cubs running about. He was uncle to them all. It was financially crippling. So many Christmas and birthday presents. The food went from the table so quickly. He barely got a look in. He regarded his nieces and nephews with a rumbling belly. Surely, he reasoned, licking his lips. No one will miss just one. Mm. <laughs> uh, I love it. like the idea. <laughs> yeah, sort of thinking, well, you know, who's going to miss one of these bear guns? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, wonderful. Now, uh, this last one, I want to tell you the story behind this, because when I used to go to LA, there was a couple of times I went to an open mic night, um, mm. and it was... Uh, uh, um, slightly slightly out of where i was staying but uh, a friend drove drove me there the first time i just went and i think i read actually i think there were videos of me doing both the times i went on, on my youtube account mr shayetti but mm-hmm. the first time i just went and read two or three poems and the second time i went back i, I managed to sort of because what they used to do uh, sadly the uh the the poetry night at this particular venue went well i think 20 25 years or whatever and then unfortunately the venue closed down after Hmm. you know in the last five years and they had they still exist like as an online thing they do weekly but what they do is they every week people do open mic but they also have a special guest now i kind of rather cheekily sort of said oh i'm coming to town again on this week and the guy was kind of like well we did have somebody booked for that week but we 'll we'll see if we 'll see if they 'll swap weeks and <laughs> sure all work out and I got to be the guest of, well, no. I be okay um, so I, I think you 've got to do like i do 't know ten poems and uh, no. what, what they what the reaction was though was was that I think that rhyming poetry is less popular these days and even more so in America than it was uh, in the u k um, whereas the audience seemed to really love rhyming poetry and also particularly if my audience was people who wouldn't necessarily pick up poetry books that often, um, or, or my parents or whoever, that those, those sorts of people, um, who wouldn't necessarily say they went to poetry shows that often always liked the, the, the rhyming poems, partly because they tend to be the silly or the funny ones. Um, and and, and I hope that at least in my best poems, I do work quite hard at making the rhymes good Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, sometimes you hear songs these days and you think, oh, that they didn't really work hard enough on that lyric. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they rhyme something that's, and it's like really, oh no, do it again. <laughs> um, but I was always very aware of like, no, I want it to be kind of, I want it, I don't want it to be a weak rhyme because it, it really can sort of spoil the rhythm. But anyway, mm-hmm. so I wrote this short poem called They Don't Rhyme Their Poems in L.A., Oh, uh, and it's not—it's—it's it's not, you know, my my topmost right. best poem, but it's—it's right, it, it's written after this experience. All right, here we go, folks. Here we go. They don't rhyme their poems in L.A., you know. They told me that in person. I think perhaps they're kind of nervous, or of some quite perverse aversion. Oh, they'd rather write in free verse to pretend they're intellectual. They cock a snoop at limericks and declare daft ditties ineffectual. But what makes a poem work? Well, it's a lot about the timing. I thought they liked their hip hop there and isn't rap about the rhyming, but I don't want to cause a war. So I will smile and not start fighting. Yes. I will rhyme back home in blighty and know I'm right in what I'm writing.
0: Hmm. Oh my God. I love it. Um, you know, there is this thing and I, am I know you're aware of it. Uh, uh, speaking uh, poetry uh, on a mic, and it's called spoken word. Yeah. yeah. And that's when you get the, the, and I'm sorry, but they all seem to be about the same, where they're going, my and uh, this is the timbre of their voice. Wo- uh, you know what I mean, Paul?
1: Yeah, yeah. I
0: mean. Anyways, they have all this stuff to say. It's super important. It's super, like life changing, and uh, and yet it's hard to relate.
1: <laughs> Sometimes I. Um, I think well, I quite enjoyed that, but was that a poem or was that a poem? <laughs> Well, I was don't, that, know. Was I a don't pro- know. Was that a bit of prose? It's spoken word. It's spoken word, and and uh, then there's also this sort of slam poetry they do. I think where people get on stage and they yes, and, and, same thing, and, and, same thing. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I mean I've never tried to. I, I just I think by the time I started doing open mic, I was well, at least you, in my mid-thirties, yeah. and I you just were, thought. You were hopelessly rhyming. Well, that, well, so I, I was like, I'm nowhere. I'm going to learn all my poems. I, it's stressful enough going up on stage anyway. I really don't want to have to have the. I want it in front of me. I'm not going to yeah. pretend I'm ever going to be some sort of slick. Um, yeah, you didn't I, want I, to emote to that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you still manage to um, sort of tr- make sure you keep an eye, you know, try and make eye contact when you're reading. but. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm am a shy yeti. I I would be even more shy if I was reading from my memory. I, I, sometimes I can't read very well off off the sheet when it's in front of me. Let <laughs> alone do it from my memory. So anyway, well, Toppy, thank you for joining me and uh, letting me share some of these uh, stories with you. And well, thank you, Paul. I enjoyed hearing. I really did. I hope you enjoyed that so before I read you um, so before I read you one or two more poems um, I, I, I just want to look at the back of this book and just sort of describe it a bit so you've got sort of paragraphs about each of the poems about when I wrote them and if there was any particular story behind them uh, I always enjoyed doing that because I knew that if I was looking at it now I uh, I wouldn't uh, Remember the full stories. There's a few pictures of Dely of course. There's a few pictures of my, my ex Dominic, who was um, the reason I was visiting LA. He's a big part of why these poems were written, and uh, he helped me with the videos, which I'm very grateful for. There's also a diary of a Shayeti, which is blog entries written during the writing of this collection between October 2010 and March 2011. Uh, it actually means that there's probably more about the writing of the previous book, to a certain extent. There's a little bit about one of the shows I did in November 2010, Do You To Wear Pyjamas. It's, it's, yeah, all you need to know and more about uh, the writing of this book. As much as anything, it's, it's nice to have, you know, it all... I think Toppy said, you know, um, you are your own sort of... Librarian, as, as far as your work's concerned, you're arch- you are the archivist of your own work. If I don't do it, then nobody else will. It's only when you get to be really, really famous that people look after your work or sort of keep it in this way. So yes, there's even some uh, there's even some pictures of some merchandise I made around this time for a book that never got finished called The Yeti Macabre. Um, there's stuff about the videos I released in this era, including. Uh, a lot of those Hollywood videos that I've shared with you, at least the audio bits of, and although those videos still exist, you know, it's a it's a complete record of you know putting together these books, and also around this time, and I may do an episode about this collection at some point, uh, but it's more later this year. Around the time I was doing this collection, it was also the 10th anniversary of my first book, Junk Food, and I started to reissue those early books, because my early books had been available on Lulu but not with proper nice covers, they were a bit quickly produced and and before that they'd been available just like stapled versions that I produced myself so yeah, this year is uh, the 20th anniversary of that collection Uh, there is one more collection that was released in 2011 um, Funeral for a Shoe And I will be doing an episode all about that, sort of towards the end of the year. But around the same time, the Junk Food collection will be will be celebrating its um, twentieth anniversary. So yes, we'll see. There's time for both of them to be celebrated. Over the years, I wrote the books. I definitely, you know, I wrote so many poems. I definitely improved as well. I, I, yeah, I think that's fair enough to say. A lot of Junk Food had poems in from when I was still at school. uh, Anyway. Um, I'm gonna play a bit of music and maybe we'll hear from the regulars and then I'll come back and i'll I'll read a few more poems before we have to say goodbye. So yes, um, back in a minute. dare ask what you think of this collection well I must say there is less poems uh, you know to me you know I, I can only take so many poems I can only take so many poems I do like the odd rhyme I must admit but uh, I like these short stories the ones he read to choppy I, I do I do approve of them I actually I like very quick episodes of tales of the unexpected Oh, yes, you yes, yes, uncle John. I think you're, you're kind of right.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> I agree. They're, they're very funny and they have a, a dark twist. And they're, they're, not, they're not very nice. <laughs> they involve managing plants and things. And murders. And, and monsters.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. Like you, Ick. I'm not a monster. Oh, you yes, yes, uncle John. You can't call Ick a monster. No, I, I didn't mean like that. I, I just meant... Strange, strange, uh, I'll shut up. Yes, you
0: better do. I might give birth right in front of you.
1: No, please don't do that. No, no, please don't do that. Uh, Martin, what do you think of this book? How does it smell to you after 10 years? Uh, It smells very good. I think it's preserved pretty well. Uh, It has a certain freshness. The Pages are still, you know, you wouldn't think they were 10 years old. Uh Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely rate it from a smelliness perspective. Oh, well, uh, Paul will be glad to hear that, I think. Yes, I think Robbie uh, And what about you, August? What do you think of the cover and the artwork? Oh, well, I do like the cover. I mean, it's quite basic, has to be said. But I believe that Mr Paul designed it himself, and he, I don't think he has an artistic bone in his body, so... From the point of that, it's quite good. I think he'll take that as fair criticism. I, I like that there are cows on the front. I like the Yeti. and the Even the picture of Mr Paul is, um, you know, he's quite cheerful. Oh, yes, I, I don't think Paul read it, but we, we should read it. The back cover says, The Vampire Cows of Scunthorpe is a collection of over a 100 poems and weird vignettes, not to mention all the usual nonsense from Mr Yeti including The Hundred Word Stories, A Day in the Life of a Diva, Dead Men Don't Yawn, Laid, Leggy Blonde, A Roaring Success, and the poems The Bard of Belgravia, L.A. Lizards, A Little Mouse, A Monkey's Uncle, The Title Piece, and many more. Yes, yes. Uh, But I will say, you know, I know he's no top-notch photographer, but he knows how to do a selfie, and he can take a picture of Dealey, and considering he can't draw... He's done a good job of making the book very visual. Yes, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. The photos are good. It's like a diary. It's a good way of preserving the photos. I believe that uh, when he went to... He, oh, I'll tell him this story. He should have told it. I think he forgot. When he did his open mic nights in LA, He, uh, uh, they were quite surprised when they saw you know, his books. And not only are they quite thick for, for, for you know poetry books, because he's you know waffling on and uh, there's lots of photos but they you know they said this he uses every bit of white space well yes yes he does and i think that's a good thing you know uh the book the book is busy and uh i know he isn't a big fan of how um sparse poetry books often are yes yes i'd agree you need an illustration yes yes i agree yes yes i think it is good very good. I think it might be time to hear some more of the pipes. Oh, Alright. wrote um, as a spoof on poems that sound quite pretentious. We were doing uh, Sylvia Plath at the time and a lot of that doesn't make much sense unless you uh, really look into it. So I started writing poems with long words that, uh, uh, picking words from the dictionary that I didn't know what they meant and just sticking them all together. I just decided that uh, if you very dramatic as you read the poem that's that was all that mattered. It's called The Eyelash of Solicism. Oh voyaging waistline of my mind What seest thou through your cantankerous iniquity? So oft I seek the eternal infusion of our innermost hydraulics. Why? Is it I never seem to reach through your salubrious trouble? Is life such a misconception of proactive transparency? Or is there some obscure faith-healing commission? Do thou reflex my every pineapple? Or are we truly nothing more than a goggle-eyed hypochondria? For me there is but one truculent everlasting disenchantment. I see this life, it watches. An aurora midst a clerical paradise. I am nothing more than the owner of an iridescent hydroelective semicolon, but I hold this treasure before me with a humble grin. I know not what it does, but here it lies. I listen to it and I wait. The eyelash of solipsism. Yeah, Those old nonsense. Uh, I think. You know, I think. Or a 17, or something when we did Sylvia Plath. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's the wrong choice I think at that age. Um, considering we hadn't done much poetry before that, or you know, or any poetry before that, it's a strange choice really. Um, I mean, relatively contemporary when we were in school in the 80s, I guess, um, the 60s, uh, 50s and 60s, but. It was just too complicated for our poor, tiny minds. I don't think it would have helped turn anyone on to poetry in our group. In a way, it did turn me on in that I decided to write spoofs and then ended up writing um, all poems that I eventually did. But I'm not sure that's what the intention was when we were introduced to uh, uh, that sort of poetry. But there we go. Here's another... Slightly daft poem, it's called Fuzzy-Faced Kiss-Freak. Meet my fuzzy-faced kiss-freak, he doesn't mean any harm. If you offer your cheek, he will peck it with charm. If he's feeling composed in a moment unplanned, he will bow down to you, so please offer your hand. He will take it and smile, and he will kiss it quite lightly, but this is only the start because his lips are well sprightly. Oh, my fuzzy-faced kiss-freak, he may appear pretty shy but deep down there's a demon with a glint in his eye. Meet my fuzzy-faced kiss-freak, he's no saggy lip-sucker, but there's a beast there inside when you ask him to pucker. He's a sensational smoocher, you should give him a try. There's no need to ask nicely, nor to ever apply. Plant your lips right on his, let him take on the lead. You will find he enjoys it and there's no need to plead. Oh, my fuzzy-faced kiss-freak, he may appear kind of quaint, but his snogs can cause swoons, which may cause you to faint. Meet my Fuzzy-Faced Kiss-Freak, his sweet loving is good. If you wanted a sample, I suggest that you should, that you better come hurry, quickly get you some bliss, because my freak has a talent that you'll not want to miss. But an offer that great simply ain't meant to last, and this particular one soon will be in the past. Oh, my Fuzzy-Faced Kiss-Freak will no longer roam free, because... I'm taking him home to Lot's lips with just me. Around this time I was listening to quite a lot of songs by Kiss. So I think I wanted to work that into the, uh, into the piece. This one's called Harassing the Sun. The sun isn't happy, it's made a complaint. It's feeling harassed, it's calling in its lawyers. It objects to people staring at it, bathing in its warmth taking advantage, taking their clothes off, flaunting boobs or family jewels at it, tanning their pale pink skins in its rays. It really doesn't want to see any of that. Put yourself away, people. The sun just feels embarrassed. It's no voyeur, but it can't turn away. And even when it tries, there's always somebody new. Really, it's not nice. All those tourists putting on sunglasses and just peering up at it, staring again, just staring. Why won't they look away? They can't seem to get enough. The sun has spoken to the moon and the moon says just the same. People are always staring at it too. Couples inappropriately writhing in its moonlight, kissing passionately in the shadows, dropping their undies because they think they can't be seen. Could it get any worse? The sun and the moon never get a break 24-7. It's intimidating unrelenting. Wherever they go, there is always someone there, staring, taking photos, disrobing. It's just one long day of unwanted attention. Quit hassling them. Ultimately, the moon just shrugs its shoulders. It is made of cheese. It feels less. If only the sun could be like that and wasn't so fiery, could let it go, not get cross. It doesn't want to burn them, but sometimes it simply loses its temper. The sun isn't happy. It's made a complaint. It's feeling harassed. It's calling in its lawyers. But do you know what? I think the sun actually likes it deep down. I really think it does. This one's called In Circles. Oh, where am I? I'm swimming, breathing underwater. How come? The last thing I remember, I was peering out the office window, trying to get a good look at a hot bit of totty passing by below. Is this the sea? No, I'm in some sort of bowl, just swimming around. I think I must have leant out too far, I must have fallen. Died, reincarnated. I can see my face now, I'm a goldfish, swimming around in circles. I thought goldfish had notoriously short memories. I thought, oh, where am I? I'm swimming, breathing underwater. How come? Glob, this one's called Instantaneously Bananas. He may look a tad uncertain, he may look a smidgen wet. He could be the rudest fellow that you may have ever met. He may wear an odd expression and an even odder hat. He may have been a backing singer for Madonna and take that. But there's very little gained by slagging off what he's achieved because he is instantaneously bananas, and often looks a little beaved. He may look as if he's crying, but those tears are tears of joy. He may not be the hottest model that you ever could employ. He may waddle down the catwalk like he's grown an extra leg, or if he's fallen out of bed or maybe about to lay an egg. But there is very little gained in being nasty to his face, because he is instantaneously bananas, so let him vanish without trace. He may look as if he's bloated, because his eyes are bulging large, he hasn't got a business mind, and yet he likes to be in charge. He can appear quite condescending, but in a way it's just an act. He may maintain his mind is sound, and yet it's also slightly cracked. his marbles are retreating, and very soon they will be lost. Because he's instantaneously bananas, it doesn't come without a cost. He may look as if he's melting, and his head is full of lies. His brain is boiling in his skull, as you can see it in his eyes. He has locked himself inside a cupboard, and he is whispering your name. It has made him go do lally as his fickle world of fame. He blames you for all he lost. You better get him back on track because he's instantaneously bananas and he ain't ever coming back. He may look a little threatening. You may think it cannot last. You shouldn't take it all for granted that he's a matter of the past because his mind is set on you and it's a matter of revenge. Well, now he's got a score to settle. There's so much wrong still to avenge. His knife is sharpened at the ready Oh, just accept, he'll take your heart. Yes, he is instantaneously bananas. Now it's time you played your part. This is one of my favourites from this collection. The one I did read at various different gigs and uh, on the radio and things like that. Uh, I've done a video for it as well. It's called A Little Mouse. He is just a little mouse. You won't hear him because you're talking. While she gossip about your day around your parlour shelves, he's walking. He's taking in the sights as all the goodies lay in waiting. What he plans to have for lunch, he's already contemplating. The wide variety on offer makes his tail dance the lambada. It's been a long time since he smiled. Today he's finding it less harder. Then he gives out a little hoot with his time now to rejoice. His next, your amaretto, oh my, so overwhelmed by choice. He's just a little mouse, you won't hear him cause you're yawning. You're about to nod right off and then your fridge is his till morning. Whilst your mind's on something else, that mouse is busy just exploring. He's found his way into the food and through your tea is quickly gnawing. He plays the eggs as if they're drums, rather that than use in bowling. Your streaky bacon's his guitar, he's into squeaky rock and rolling. He gives out a squeal of joy because he's happier than Larry, for he has found your fresh cream cakes, he'll wolf some down, the rest he'll carry. He's just a little mouse. You won't hear him because you're sleeping, or because you're watching a films film. yet are far too busy weeping. Whilst your pillow holds your head and you're enjoying simply resting, in your home-baked panettone this little mouse is busy nesting. He's skating on a trifle that is waiting in decoration. Next he's feasting on your cheddar, like it's rodent medication. He gives out a little yelp, because he's seen your corponzola. He'll soon be gorging that as well, while slurping back your cherry cola. He's just a little mouse. You won't hear him because you're shouting, because you found your larder empty and in the kitchen tensions mounting. He has stripped the Sunday joint and all the roasties you were hoarding. You need to get yourself a cat to catch your pests that may be hoarding say all your favourite grub and all those treats you have been saving you just spotted him in stitches up the curtain, rudely waving he gave out a little laugh he thinks he's quite a jolly wheeze but as you build yourself a better mousetrap he is long gone a real big cheese this is another 100 word story I'll read you a couple more My father, the pole dancer Dad! Addie screamed in panic Who knew, grinned her friend Susie. The last thing they'd expected to see on Annie's hen night was her father pole dancing at a seedy Soho nightclub. Once they're retired, anything goes. Last time I saw my dad, he was paragliding in Ibiza with his new partner, Justin. Annie wasn't listening. They're my shoes, Dad. The heel on the left one's broken. But it was too late. The room was suddenly filled with the sound of a 56 year old 18 stone pole dancer crashing to the floor. I told him and he cried, where the blue Malone Blonics? This one's called the Opposite Platform. On Sloan Square Station, I'm on the opposite platform that I would normally be of a Friday evening. This time of night, pre-weekend, I'd usually be East End bound, heading out to you. There used to be no other direction for me. You were the place, my ideal destination first we ran smoothly, but soon leaves fell upon our line. Engineering works every weekend, replacement bus services. But now my route has changed and my ticket is invalid. So tonight as I watch from the opposite platform, although for just a second it causes me a sudden pang of regret, I know that I am heading in a better direction now, but do send me a postcard. This is one that I I know is an old one, and it was one I was going to be to toppy, but I couldn't remember the title a peculiar method of research. They say he stalks the streets, his victim's screams echoing into the night, The frantic cries, sounding like. Frederick frowned, his new novel was going badly. Tickets please, called the train conductor, entering the quiet carriage. Clumsily Frederick let the ticket fall, but the conductor just smiled and bent down for it. However, as he did so, Frederick produced a large axe from his briefcase and calmly hacked the man to death. Once he'd finished, Frederick turned off his dictaphone. It now contained invaluable research. the recorded scream of his victim, echoing, get to echo the night, get to the night, get to the night, This one is called Peggy Sue's Pet Tumbleweed. Now, this was inspired by travelling out to Vegas by car from LA and, uh, seeing a uh, well i think i actually saw uh, a diner for Peggy Sue's um, Peggy Sue's pet tumbleweed was hungry feed me Elvis hissed i'll try honey times are hard her diner had closed her family were dead and even her rival Jenny Rose had moved back to Vegas but Peggy Sue and Elvis remained trucks passed the diner every day but whenever one broke down on the desert road she liked to help. A short sharp blow to the head. With a spanner usually did it. Dinner's ready. Elvis would arrive soon. She could hear him outside chewing the bones. Meanwhile back in the kitchen pots were steaming. It sure smelt good. Very macabre. Oh yes that reminds me. Jenny Rose. That was the... Well I remember driving... uh, along the highway and one side of the road was Peggy Sue and on the other side was Jenny Rose. That's the only detail I know, but I used it. Well, of course there are many more I could read, but I think I'll read one more before we have to say goodbye. This one is called Spanish Kisses. Why are her Spanish kisses quite so sloppy? Why are her Spanish kisses quite so loud? She sounds like she is slurping up her cornflakes. It is a noise of which she seems so very proud. She cannot saunter up and simply peck you. There is something more involved she'll always seek. And why can't she merely wave and keep her distance, rather than attach just like a limpet to your cheek? It is the way her family always used to do it. It is the way she grew up that she was taught that a greeting kiss should show you really mean it. It isn't ever going to seem an afterthought. But I don't like it when she gets so kissy-kissy. She approaches. In my head, I'm hearing drums she lets loose to give a proper messy slobber and she's forgot her teeth so all you get is gums why are her Spanish kisses quite so heavy why are her Spanish kisses quite so rough she comes quickly like a succubus in lipstick when she's gone you'll find she's left you out of puff would it be so very rude if I objected if I called the cops I'm worried I'd be slapped although I really wish she'd flick her tongue less fiercely because there's a danger that my tonsils might get trapped She always has her eyes on me as she's arriving. It's always me she makes a swooping beeline for. When she kisses, it's like snogging with a hoover. It's like I'm in some Spanish kissing civil war. It's not as if I'm averse to welcome gestures. I'm just not sure I'd want to have them every day. I don't mind a bit of subtle smooching action, but she is like a great St. Bernard. Keep away. Now, according to the information in this book, my ex, Nef, who comes from Mexico City, uh, introduced me to Pedro Amoldova films. And there's a lot of kissing that goes on in Spanish films. Welcoming kissing. Um, and uh, when we watched those Pedro Amoldova films, Neff would always refer to those scenes as Spanish kisses. I never would ask him if Mexican kisses were equally as exuberant, but... Uh, so anyway... Just in case you're wondering, there was a reason for them being Spanish kisses because Neff would always point out uh, Neff, who is of course Charlie Gerr's good friend Well listeners, that's all we've got time for Um, There will be one or two more after the end theme but uh, anyway, yes as I mentioned earlier, we do have um, more poetry coming later in the year as my books hit some more significant anniversaries but uh, okay well thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed um all of the daft dittiness that uh, you found in this episode and uh yeah we'll be back for more very soon we've got plenty of episodes in the can so you take care and we'll say goodbye for now okay bye 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 for now Toppy. Um this one's called The Cat Next Door. Ooh, all right. I was drinking tea in the garden when I met my new neighbour's cat. It was a friendly creature with bright ginger fur and oddly intense eyes, one blue, one green. I had nothing to feed it, but later I baked a cake and went around to introduce myself to his owners. Janet and Ernest were both teachers, nearing retirement. For a while we chatted about gardening until their son Nick arrived home. He was a tall, handsome lad, In his teens, with wild ginger hair. His eyes, one blue, one green. Hello, Nick grinned mischievously. I think we met earlier. I like them. Oh, we've got got, the cats arrived. Hello, Deals. Uh Ow. Ow. Oh, here she is. I Um, mean, he,
0: he, he. Dealy, I meant he. I I got my pronouns mixed
1: up, Dealy. What what are your chosen pronouns, Deals? Is it? hey is it <laughs> no no you don't you've never told me that before he has no he not that before oh i like this one um this one's called grandpa's wig <laughs> all right tommy was sure his mum was lying no no grandpa wears a wig she'd whispered in confidence tom wasn't convinced so once when grandpa was sleeping he'd sneaked a quick look himself Sure enough, when he tugged at it, Grandpa's luxuriant hair flew off without resistance. <laughs> Much to Tommy's surprise, on Grandpa's shiny, bald head, that there sat was... a grumpy-looking rabbit with long, oh. bright ears. Mm. Some of us are trying to sleep, it snapped. <clears throat> Tommy dropped the wig and ran. Eventually, he overcame the shock, but after that, every time he saw Grandpa, Tommy always took a carrot with him, just <clears throat> in
0: I love it, it's so surreal I mean you could almost see this really happening I mean, if it took place like that yeah, you'd want to have that carrot there uh, to kind of, uh, you know make peace I wish that I could
1: um, uh, like, do animation and you could do it in animation animation
0: it would work so well it would work so
1: well it really would yeah, would you do the voice of any cats?
0: Yeah. 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 Well, no. he's just sitting and listening. Uh, anyway. Well, naturally, now that you want him to speak, he's not going to. You know
1: that, Paul. I was going to try and get a friend of mine to record their cat so that <laughs> episode I can do it. I can do so- sorry oh. listeners uh, Dili's here with his friend and they they keep chatting and, and then just cut to Dili talking and the other you know, cat talking like they were talking to one another and then us then sort of saying let's take it to another room there there yeah we're finished now aren't we deal alright yeah. let's stop recording now so don't say <laughs> anything important deal
0: I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice.
1: We have a voice.
0: Unique voices in podcasting.
1: Univarsepods.net If Shakespeare were around today... Okay, Mr. Shakespeare. So we're here to sort out your whole media persona. Now, we know that people like your plays and sonnets. Thoughtful people mostly... Students, academics, pretentious and dull people, simple farming folk, maybe less so, soccer mums, maybe less so, jocks and sports fans, probably not at all. So anyway, this winter I want to try something new, something that sells the whole Shakespeare brand on a more accessible level. Bear with me, Willie old chum. I've suggested t-shirts, coffee mugs, and inflatable Bard dolls. But this one is a real doozy. Wait for it, I can see you excited. This season we're going to focus on... A calendar! Okay, okay, so you were expecting something bigger, maybe. But we need to start small here. It's no longer just about the plays. As good as they are, probably. No, the plays have been done to death. How many times can middle-aged intellectuals see yet another production of Hamlet? They just don't seem to grow tired of it. But one day, they will. One day they will die. So we need to be thinking beyond that demographic. Get some young fresh blood into the whole Shakespeare industry. So this is my point. We're here to sell you, the playwright, the poet, the maestro, numero uno. To be or not to be is all very well, but how does it relate to the here and now? That's not what I'm looking to discover. Studying the text is for students, not businessmen. We have a different angle here, Will, and ultimately what I'm thinking is, what about you just take your top off? What about you lie in a provocative pose, on this sofa, pouting? How about you flutter your eyelids a bit and maybe get a semi? Maybe just growl seductively, just once. Okay, twice. Lick your lips, kiss me, show me you want it, baby. Come on, sexy, show daddy what you've got. Yeah, if you get my drift, that should do it. I mean, no one is ever going to get bored of seeing the bard in the buff. So, kit off, let's see those buns, Mr Shakespeare. What are you waiting for? Stop making such a fuss and come back here this minute. Mr Shakespeare, oh so beer. It. it's your loss. Such a drama queen. Much ado about nothing. Yeah, I think that's probably how they'd sell Shakespeare if he turned up today. Get your top off. I don't know. If you were my wife If you were my wife, I'd call you gorgeous It's good to flirt, and you deserve it If you were my wife, we'd go out for afternoon tea Every day We'd swap stories and sit Earl Grey Giggling in our own private world Naturally, I would also make breakfast for you in the morning I'd stand at the foot of our stairs and yell Crumpet! And you'd shout back, "To right To which I'd add a generous Fwoar! before bringing you up your toast and marmalade. There probably wouldn't be any crumpet, but we'd never get tired of a little double entendre before the day began. If you were my wife and I was your husband and neither of us would work, you wouldn't need to. I would be a poet, writing about pies and puddings, eating just a few, to be sure, for inspiration. Maybe you would be an artist like Emin or Hurst, making a fortune out of your dirty bed linen, knocking up a few diamond-encrusted skulls before lunchtime. It really would be that simple. We'd spend spring in gaperie and then in summer possibly move on. Somewhere in the shade, perhaps. By Lake Como. The rest of the year we'd ad-lib, go with the flow. Maybe the Riviera, Vienna or the Hamptons. Maybe Blackpool, Scunthorpe or Ham or Hempstead. Whatever took our fancy. If you were my wife, I would call you sweet stuff. I would send you flowers but pretend that they were Someone dramatic, a count or a lord, maybe Sir Willem de Wiggleton Humperdink the Third Junior, something like that. We would sit upon the promenade during early autumn evenings, taking turns at tickling each other with peacock feathers, laughing at the hunky meatheads who blundered by, smiling at them, winking at them, confusing their poor dear heads until their brains popped. Time for another cup of tea, my dear. Well, of course. Time for another scone, my lover. If you were my wife, I'd call you gorgeous. But well, one should always be honest, now, shouldn't one? Of course, I wrote that one for Wifey Joe. I did indeed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what I? You know what I wonder? What in the world-sized shoe do you think Grushy Yeti wears? I, I don't know. I just wonder.
1: The Vampire Cows of Scunthorpe The vampire cows of Scunthorpe hang around the rafters in their herds. The vampire cows of Scunthorpe nest in the trees just like the birds. To be careful should you see them, as they digest the meadow flora. Their moves are music to my ears, but have a slight hypnotic aura. They may appear to be quite calm and, yes, quite utterly content. But then their tails begin to swish, yet no one knows quite what is meant should you see a cow with fangs it's just better to retreat because they're often known to pounce to suck the toenails from your feet the vampire cows of Scunthorpe are a quite eccentric group the vampire cows of Scunthorpe clearly love the chance to swoop high in the hedges chomping grass they don't enjoy to chew the cud they grow impatient for a victim for what they really want is blood they make do with fish and chips but they can only last so long as they stalk folk in the fields, giving out a subtle pond. Should you see a cow with wings, then I'd hop on the nearest bike, and I would pedal really fast, cause your soft neck is what they'd like. The vampire cows of Scunthorpe, they all dress a little strange. Vampire cows of Scunthorpe are undead and smell of mange. Well, they all look a tad demented when you see them on the town, for you know they read your mind and they intend to track you down. That they'd love to drain your veins, and one night they may well dare, but until that fateful evening, they will just smile at you and stare. Should you see a cow with claws and she is knocking at your door, you'd be a fool to let her in, For she's a fan of blood and gore. The vampire cows of Scunthorpe tiptoe nimbly on your roof. The vampire cows of Scunthorpe leave their hoof marks there as proof. Hear them holler down the chimney, calling things that make you gasp. They don't want to bring you presents, they just want you in their grasp. You must learn to never listen to all the evil things they coo. Just pretend you cannot hear their dark, sadistic, undead moo. Should you see a cow who's crazy, oh, do make sure you stay awake. Just saunter slightly by their side. Then go and stake yourself some steak. I'm not sure you get steak from cows. Do you get steak from cows? Or is that a different type of cattle altogether? It's like dairy cows and, oh, I don't know. Well, it it, it worked for the poem, so maybe you get steak creatures that are vampires as well. Well, I don't know. Who wrote the theme music?
0: (laughs) That that Paul, he's he's a great guy. (laughs) No, 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 Paul's a great guy. Great guy. I just, I just didn't get the poem. Uh, Paul read today. Didn't get it. Four sixty. Four sixty. Four hundred and sixty. Four hundred and sixty. Four six zero. Six zero. Four sixty. Four sixty. Now that one
1: was funny. Would you mind if I read just two more as the extra two? Now we have to have it for chair.
0: Please do. Uh, Please.